is Romans 5, 1 to 5, and I'm in the NIV. It says, therefore, Paul speaking, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And listen to this, hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Now, we see here that Paul has introduced the subject of hope by reminding people in, in verses 1 to 2 that we have been justified with pe- by faith, we have peace with God, and we have this glorious hope of eternity to come. You know, Jesus died and rose again for us, and he has blazed the way into God's presence. He has opened the way so that we can all go in. He says this glorious hope that he has. But then he goes on to talk about a hope that is not only for the future. It's not only that eternal hope. He says in verse 3, but not only that, we have a hope that is now. So we rejoice in our sufferings. We see that hope here is inextricably linked with suffering and trial and heartbreak and loss and pain. Now, some commentators think that, um, you know, the crowd is around Paul and, and he's, he's answering some unexpressed objections that the people around him have about the, the verses that we've just read. You know, they said, well, if we have this glorious future, why doesn't God protect us from suffering? It's a question that you hear quite often today, isn't it? He, it may be that he, he says, if we, the, if we are the objects of God's love and grace, shouldn't we be enjoying a trouble-free life? And we will see, as we go through this passage, how Paul develops that subject of hope now, whatever we're going through. And I find that it's difficult talking about suffering because there's people, even in this group today, that have suffered much more than me, I imagine. You know. And sometimes when you're preaching about these subjects, you know, these deep subjects, you know, it's like you're, you're throwing a boomerang. No, your words are aimed at the people that you're speaking to and all of a sudden it comes back and it hits you right back in the face again and you think, no, I haven't ever grasped it. I haven't made sense of it. It's like um, Joy said in her, when she was telling us about that beautiful passage in Ezekiel, you know, sometimes we can't fathom what we go through and neither can we. I've learned an awful lot from the, from the study and one thing I've been amazed at particularly about this whole subject of suffering and hope, is the extraordinary men and women of the New Testament. The, the, the men and women of the, uh, of the birth of the church in Acts of the Apostles, if ever there was a time when persecution was absolutely rife, when their whole lives would... I don't think we quite understand what they were going through when they were, when they were um, preaching the gospel, when they were writing these things. You know, it was incredible suffering incredible persecution that we have never seen the like of, that's for certain. And there was, you know, we don't have to read very far um, to find that these followers of Jesus had an incredible attitude to it all. 
in Acts 5 and 41, the, the disciples were hounded and beaten and abused by the Sanhedrin, and they were told them, you do not dare to speak in that name. They couldn't even say the name of Jesus. If you do, you know, that'll be the end of you. And it says in verse 41, they went on their way from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they had been counted worthy to suffer for his name. James, in his letter, chapter 1, 2 to 3, says, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Paul and Silas in prison, in, in Acts 16, in Philippi, um, 12, 12 midnight, which is quite a low time for most people. <laughs> they are worshipping and praying and praising God, and you think to themselves, it's crazy. It's crazy. Their attitude to suffering. How could they do it? They knew Jesus. They had learned from Jesus. They, they knew him, the one who says, for the joy that was set before him endured the cross and despised the shame. They lent onto, into Jesus. They learned from him. And also they were filled with the Holy Spirit. They could have done it another, no other way. They were living with that power, that reality of the God that they loved and Jesus who they served. And they could not have done it otherwise. And so in our passage, we see this very interesting pro, 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 uh, process. Three to five. Suffering for them had a purpose. It, it triggered a chain reaction, like a, like a, a line of dominoes. And it says that um, the chain reaction was from suffering to hope. And the first link in the chain was suffering produced perseverance. What's biblical perseverance? It can be described as spiritual grit, you know, courage. It's a sort of mental toughness that's developed through trial. It's a... You know, the word suffering here is also translated as tribulation, which, is, which literally means pressure. And I think that's helpful because sometimes it's not always the big, massive trials of our life. It's everyday pressures that come and just sap us of our hope, isn't it? A um, couple of years ago, or two suc successive years, um, a colleague at Woodlands and me, we did some um, pilgrimages with the groups of people to the Holy Land, you know, following in the footsteps of Jesus. And it was, in, it was incredible. But the one thing that, when I was thinking about this subject, in Nazareth, they've reconstructed a village in Nazareth as it would have been in the days of Jesus. And, you know, you walk around and you have a meal there, sort of food that Jesus would have ate and all this stuff. And we went around and we went through the wine press. And the wine press was such an amazing place for me because there... Those, um, not wine press, olive press, those olives got pressed not once through this great millstone thing, you know, not once, not twice, but three times in order that the most precious oil could come out from it. It would have not have happened with once. And that spoke volumes to me about persevering through trial. Now, I need to stop there, I think, because... That's a very hard concept for us, isn't it? It almost feels to me like a sort of a heartless formula. You know, you've got to grit your teeth and persevere. You know, it sounds, it sounds too harsh. 
and this whole process of making sense of our suffering, we never deny the pain or the ache or the heartbreak of it all. God wouldn't want us to do that. The Bible and God never encourages us to just press it down and push it away. It, even in, in uh, Romans 12 and 5, it says, weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Understand what pain is and suffering. You know, this you know, triumphalism sometimes can, de- can destroy people, can't it? We have to understand what trial is. Try and understand their brokenness and other people's grief. I think um, our brother at the back, I don't know your name. What is your name? Eddie. Eddie mentioned this verse that I'm going to quote now. It says in Hebrews, it describes Jesus as the great high priest. And it says this of him, he understands our suffering. He knows what we're going through. I think it says he shares with our infirmities, I think it says. And he's ready to help us in our time of need. He knows exactly what we're going through. I love that. And, you know, for me, it means whatever I'm going through right at this moment, he never leaves me. He's always watching my back, you know. He's there for me, strong and uh, unchanging. He's also at the right hand of the Father making intercession. And so we don't deny the pain of it. And in our first chain reaction from suffering to pressure, we don't develop perseverance and endurance, it seems, unless trials. If our world is spinning beautifully, you know, our hope is, is, is there, isn't it? We've got everything to hope for. But it's when our important relationships in our lives are broken down. It's when we've been just diagnosed with a disease it's a funny thing, I was at the 8 o'clock service this morning at Woody's and a lady came to me at the end, uh, one of our, our regular family members, and she said um, she had uh, cancer of the colon five years ago. She came with tears and she said, could you pray for me? She said, because I've just been diagnosed with secondary breast cancer. I thought I was clear and I've got it again, you know. I think that um, perseverance... Uh, uh, hope will never come when we don't have trials. It only comes almost like in trials, you know. And um, so that was, is the first one, perseverance, um, suffering to perseverance. The second domino is perseverance produces character. Character. And that term character means proven character you know in the king james version it's talked about experience and on on our path of following god there have been times for you and for me when experiences have altered the course of my life and altered the course of yours i imagine and sometimes we feel like we're walking through fire people are nodding you know what i'm talking about don't you and we all know about this refining process that goes on in our lives you know where in order to bring purity in our lives, the pressure, the, the heat gets turned up, don't we? We know that, don't we? The refiner is removing the impurities by bringing the temperature up in our lives. And the psalmist asks, how long is that refining process going to go on, God? There's a beautiful uh, quote from a man called Ben Mandrell, and he explained it like this. He said... The refiner knew that the gold was pure 
when he could see his face in it. And we will develop character when we, in our lives, whatever we're going through, we are reflecting the image of Jesus. We choose to trust Jesus and to have hope. I think one of the most poignant experiences that Rob and I ever had was um, we had been invited, Rob had been invited, to go to, I think I might have told you this story before, forgive me if I have. He was invited to go to, to um, Hong Kong to speak at a conference there, and I managed to go as his lovely assistant, which was good news. And um, so we had a week doing that, and then the second week we just poked our nose into Jackie Pullinger and, and wor wor worked around the Wall City. Um, in fact, I went the second year with my daughter, but, but that was our second week. The third, that was, an, that was an experience. The third week, we went to China. We'd always, Robert always wanted to go to China for some reason. And th there's an organization in Hong Kong, when they heard that we were going into China, they asked us, would we carry in some smuggling, some Bibles and Christian literature? And we said, yeah, of course we will. It was at a time, not like today, when China was very closed, very closed. It was about two months before the Tiananmen Square massacre. So that was how, what it was. And so we were quite, you know, innocently going in there. And when we got to Guangzhou, we went by train, and when we got to Guangzhou, the, the, the city in the south that we were going, we had a, a list of people to uh, visit. We went into the packed train station. I have never seen so many people. And just us two with the blonde hair and the blue eyes, you know, and, and all, and everybody else. And I said to Rob, you're never going to get through. We did get through. We did get through. And we distributed all of our resources and Bibles to these wonderful Christians. And then we had to fly up to Beijing, and we had a list there of Christians, persecuted underground church Christians. And we, we, we stayed in the, in the um, university at Beijing, and we were being observed. It was, it was without doubt. And so our, our guide, our courier, said to us, you can't go in the day to visit these, you know, you, you, you'll compromise them. And we had to go in night, at night, in the dead of night, riding bikes across the Chinese um, countryside. It's hilarious, actually, hilarious. And we got to this dilapidated building, which was home and church to the Christians there. And I've never seen in my whole life such radiance, such hope, such trust, such promise. They had nothing to be hopeful about, nothing. There was a, the, the man who was leading the group was a, was a, an, a, had been an eminent surgeon. He had lost his job. He had lost his, his family. Members of his family had been persecuted. They had been killed and tortured. It, it, all his finances had been gone. And there were this group of Christians, the radiance I will never forget. And they said to us, you know, we had to give them our greetings and our love from England and all that. And they... And they and, um, they said to us, would you, would you pray for us? And we said, no, you pray for us. You pray for us first. And the Holy Spirit came. And I have never experienced anything like it. And then we prayed for them. And I came out of that room, pedaling back. And I said to Rob, Rob, I am totally humbled because I have seen hope in the midst of such desperate trial. We learned something about suffering producing character 
And as we, like them, lean on the Lord and we know Jesus' character, we know his justice, we know his love and his faithfulness, we know purpose for our lives. And our lives become like that little seed that is put into the good ground and produces good fruit. Not like the one that um, fades quickly away when it's in a time of trial. You know the story of the sower and the seed. And thirdly and lastly, so we've had perseverance, create um, suffering bringing perseverance, perseverance being character, character bringing hope. And here we have it. Here we have it. The 19th century American writer Robert Green Ingersoll said this. He said, hope is the only bee that makes honey without flowers. Isn't that great? And verse 5 says, and we read it, didn't we? Hope does not disappoint us. And that word hope can often be confusing in the English language, can't it? It can be a maybe, perhaps. It can, be say, it can say, well, I'm hoping so. I mean, I'm very loath to use the B word, but Brexit, you know, October the 31st. Has anybody got any hope here for anything being worked out there? Every day, my hope levels hit the bottom, you know. How certain are we of Brexit? But it's not like that with God's hope. It's nothing like that with God's hope. There is no uncertainty. It is an unshakable confidence in the God that we have known and we have loved, who has worked for us in the past and who will work for us again. And suffering is leading us to perseverance, character to hope, and we grow in the confidence of God's character, God's promises. This unchanging God. It says in, in, in Peter, there's no shadow of turning with him. He is unmovable. He is unchangeable. And we know that he loves us. Um, my mother-in-law gave me about 50 years ago a little plaque that is still on my desk to this day. And it's a literal translation, Hebrew literal translation of Zephaniah 3.16, I think. And it says this, he is silently planning for thee in love. Sometimes we don't know what's going on. It's about patience for us, you know. But he has never stopped silently planning for us in love. What have, what's happened to my little... Oh, here it is. I want to show you somebody who also amazes me. What have I got to point it at? Anything? Oh, here he is. This guy is called Nick Wojcik. Have you heard of him? He's an Australian, isn't he? He, has, he was born one in millions, uh, you know, born with some weird, uh, you know, illness, um, no arms and no legs. And can you imagine a child where his hope is? And at the eight, age of eight years, eight, uh, eight years of age, he was so depressed because there was no hope for him in his life. No arms, no legs, you know. That he had to be on very strong medication. And at the age of 10, in his bath, he almost drowned himself. It was only the thought of what it would do to his parents that stopped him. And then in his teens, he encountered Jesus. Reality 
absolute revelation of Jesus in his life. And he heard Jesus say to him, oh, I have got plans for you and for your life. And today, Nick Wojcik is the most incredible, you know, don't you, incredible evangelist. He goes all over the world with this, with this message of hope. He's a, he's, he's a living example. He's speaking to 30 men in northern India where it's so tough, you know. Or he's with 30,000 people in Stadia in America. He's been here to this country. He's all over the world. And thousands of people have become Christians because of Nick Wojcik. And yet he grew up with no hope. He's a messenger bringing transformational change and hope against the odds. And this is what Nick Wojcik said. He said, I was never crippled until I lost hope. I was never crippled until I lost hope. I'm coming to the end. You can be hopeful. I am coming to the end. (laughs) There's a verse in Romans 15 and 13, and I'm going to read it from the message because it's one of my favorites. And this is Paul speaking, and he says, Oh, may the God of green hope fill you up with joy. What we were singing about just before, you know. Fill you up with joy, fill you up with peace, so that your believing lives, filled with the life-giving energy of the Holy Spirit, may brim over with hope. I love that concept, don't you? I want my life to be like that. I love that phrase, green hope. It's vibrant, it's alive, isn't it? I can remember some months ago, you might remember it too, when we suddenly had this big dumping of a song of snow on us, and I had some little tender plants in the garden, and I rushed out to see you know, um, whether they had survived or no. And there, before my very eyes, you know what I'm going to say, was this little snowdrop coming up from that hard, impenetrable, hostile ground, you know, standing there with serenity and tenacity and hope. It filled my heart, you know. It's green hope, green hope. It's a living hope. It's not false optimism or unrealistic dreams or it's not a figment of our imagination. It's this knowledge that is anchored in the fact that God loves me. He's for me. He never changes in his love for me. Whatever's going on in my life, he is perfectly and amazingly wise and most of all, he is totally committed to me. He's never going to give up on me. It's like the pilgrim in Psalm 84 in all his trials. He's yearning for the presence of God. That's the place to be when things are tough. I love also in, um, I think it's um, Hosea 2.15. It talks about there a valley of Achor, it's called. The valley of Achor, which means the valley of trouble. He says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. Can you imagine you're going through this this, uh, horrid valley of trouble and there at the end, you know, God is opening the door of hope for you. It's marvelous, isn't it? It's marvellous. At the end of our reading, I mentioned earlier, this verse 5, that hope doesn't disappoint us. And do you know what the reason is? Do you know why hope won't disappoint us? Because the love of God is poured into our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit, who is given to us.
Paul didn't see a suffering and trial and persecution as an indication that God didn't love him or God had forgotten him. Because he says this, and I'm with this I close, Romans 8. Neither tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness or peril or sword can separate me from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And I say, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Hope will not be disappointed.